This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the No Name Ever podcast. I'm James Bird, stepping in for Jamie Smith as he's been banished for bad tweets this week. Uh, we'll be talking about the magnificent point in the Chelsea game this weekend and also having a look ahead to Lincoln City in the FA Cup. Uh, and we'll also have the usual tweet of the week and prediction features. Um, so, moving on to the Chelsea game. It was a great point against the league leaders in a game that probably most of us thought would be quite difficult, even though obviously a few of us did predict wins last week. Um, how did you think the game went, Natalie? It was absolutely fantastic and I'm still absolutely buzzing from it. Um, What a great game. What a great afternoon. I've got to say I'm massively enjoying football this season. I know we've had a few um, difficult points, but on the whole, everything just seems to be massively falling into place. Um, I'm not going to lie. I think three minutes in when the first shot goes in and they they suddenly break away from our defence, we get a little bit jittery. And then when we start going 1-0 behind with just seven minutes gone, I was just looked at my dad and I was like, this is going to be really horrible, Dad. I don't want to see it. And they honestly really worried that we were going to get an absolute hiding. But I am very, very pleased to say that the boys absolutely focused, turned it around, executed their game plan absolutely perfectly. And what a fantastic performance. I was really, really pleased yesterday. It was a great game. Obviously, it was quite an early goal for Chelsea. And uh, I think at that point, a lot of people might have been thinking it was going to be a bad day at the office, uh, a rare one at Turf Moor as well. Uh, Kevin, how did you sort of feel when the early goal went in? Yeah, I think particularly after, because um, that was their second shot on target within the first kind of five or six minutes. Um, and particularly when you look at the way that move progressed, uh, they they started with the ball um, back in back in their back four almost. And, and it, they got the ball forward so quickly and almost so easily. Um, obviously, uh, Robbie Brady flings himself to try and um, make the slide tackle but ends up just flying across the turf and they've got acres of space to, to burst forward into. And, and then that, that beautiful touch around Michael Keenan, at that point you look at that, how just how effortlessly, uh, how effortless that move forward seemed. And it, it, you did start to think, is this going to be the, the first time this season that we really look out of place at Turf Moor and we're going to be outclassed for the first time at Turf Moor? Um, and all credit to the team, I think we reacted very well, very instantly. Uh, that that goal in the sixth minute was their second shot, on, their sorry, their final shot on target in the whole game. 
and I think that's that's testament to how well we recovered. And actually, I think we we ended the first half and began the second half as the better team. Um, Chelsea grew into the second half again and had a lot of possession, a lot of the ball, but never really never really threatened uh, that that second goal. And actually, I'd say on reflection, despite the visitors domination of the of the ball i thought we probably had the the two better chances to to go on and win the game in terms of uh chances and goal yeah you've, you've touched there a little bit on what i was going to come to next which is uh the build-up to the chelsea goal and i, I thought there's quite a lot of mistakes obviously robbie brady went in quite rashly on victor moses and it wasn't really the best start to his home debut because he, he really was to blame for the rest of the move progressive well, see, then there's the ball into Pedro. He, he does take a great touch, but I think maybe Keane just stands off him a little bit and doesn't get close enough. Um, Adam, you know, if you were going to apportion blame to someone in the build of that goal, I mean, where do you think it lies? I think there's got to be a collective responsibility. I know that's a cop out, but uh, you really knew that we were in trouble after that. After Brady missed that slide tackle, I don't really know what he was doing. He was so far away when he slid in that. It, there, there was always an element of risk that he wouldn't get it. Um, I mean, I've, I've seen lots of people blame Ward, and it, it was just, I think, a collective failure. <laughs> like, like all, all of the defenders really sort of were, we were so out of position because of the speed of the attack um, that you, you've got to blame everyone. Really, you can't really pin it on one one sole person. I think, I think in defence, for I think, you know, um, you know, Brady, Brady's a long way away. Um, that's probably perhaps a, a positioning problem uh, before that, but once that move is is going forward, I suppose he's got to he's got to try that that sly tackle, or else I don't think there's much else he can do. Um, and then w- when it gets into the box, that ball across um, it does get a slight nick off, off the back of someone's heel, which gives it a, it's only a slight deflection, but I think it's a very meaningful deflection. Uh, which takes it right into the path of Pedro, and that, obviously that's a it's a phenomenal touch. Uh, but I think nine times out of ten, that deflection takes it takes it away, and and, and that that goal doesn't happen. I think Pedro is just so well to react so quickly. Michael Keane probably needs that extra quarter of a second to to react, and I think that's the difference when you're playing against uh, a, a team of Chelsea's quality. I think nine times out of ten, if you're playing a, a team that doesn't have the quality of Chelsea. That deflection means that the, the attacker has to have that extra time to react, and the same time as Michael Keane, I think that cancels it out. And I'm thinking, yeah, nine, nine times out of ten, Michael Keane is able to recover in time to to stop that ball getting through. So, you know, was, I'm not going to say that it was a world class uh, defensive effort from us because there were certainly um, some mistakes. I, I don't want to say mistakes. Is that, I think that's too negative a word. I think there were some things which um, might have been, which could have been better. But I think at the end of the day, I think I think that's quite harsh, and I think we were just caught out by a very very good move and some phenomenal um, individual um, efforts as well. Yeah, I think one one thing on on the goal is it was scarily quick how it how it happened, and the quality was so so good of the Chelsea goal um, that you do start to worry, and it's something that I've noticed again and again this season. We sort of look like we're on the ropes, and then suddenly. We sort of recover, like there's maybe a five-minute period after the goal where we're still a bit like shaken, but like we get get resolute, and it's it's amazing. You think it's going to be seven, eight, eight nil or whatever, you know, as a fan, where you where you sort of 
pictured a lot the the worst case scenario yeah and then then it, we sort of recover and it's it's absolutely fine and and we we're, we're just as we were and and sort of on the front foot again um i think it's a real quality of the side to not to be taken with the momentum of the game um like some sides would be i think that's a really good point to make actually that you know we've shown there that we can we can fight back really well um and that's obviously the first time I think this season that we've been been behind at home early on and uh, obviously we've we've shown that not only can we perform well at home when we, we have the advantage to start with but we can come from behind and uh, get a great result I'm going to be lazy for the next little bit and, and sort of quote from my own Twitter but obviously there's a lot to talk about I think from the, the players today and um, I thought it was Boyd's best game of the season you know by quite some way there's a lot of work to do with the way that Chelsea set up and in the same way, I thought that uh, both Lawton and Ward were magnificent. And, you know, they had to play such a different game to how our fullbacks normally play. Um, you know, the the way that Chelsea come at you with this free at the back, sort of with the, the wing backs, and then obviously the way Hazard comes in, I think it made it quite difficult. And we saw that Lawton had to make a, you know, a lot of headers today, which uh, he doesn't normally do. Um I just thought that the two of them particularly were magnificent, and obviously the, the tracking boy did was just just great. I mean, what did you think, Natalie, about uh, some of the individual performances? Yeah, I mean, it's really difficult, isn't it, to to pin anybody out for particularly special players. And likewise, it's quite harsh to look at somebody and give them criticism for poor individual performance. I think as a general point, I don't think playing the likes of Chelsea is a particularly... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? I don't think it's it's an appropriate game to start judging some of our players and um, trying to assess where they are. Because we're talking about playing world-class players here and, and a team who are going to be champions very shortly. So it's very hard to sort of say, oh, you know, well, Boyd should have done this or Ward should have done that. And, you know, Barton was invisible here. None of those things happened in any event, but I'm using those as an example. But as a general point, I think it was quite interesting to see how tactically our team used their own skills and their own plus points to counteract a very, very tricky side. Um, Saying that, I I do agree with you, James. I thought Lawton had one of his best performances I've ever seen in the side. Um, I I like singling out for praise where somebody has has done something um, better and has improved as the season's gone. Our regular listeners will know that I was quite vocal with my concern for Matt Lawton at the, the start of the season. I couldn't see in the early stages how effective he was going to be at this level. And I had some concerns about whether or not he was strong enough physically and mentally to be able to to deal with some of the the Premier League's toughest forward lines. I'm so pleased to see the improvements that he has made and he's he's actually turning out to be quite a a competent defender and I I really like, I've really enjoyed watching him. And I think yesterday he had such a tough afternoon because he was constantly being pulled away from the wing and pulling closer and closer to to the centre two centre halves and he caught with that really well and obviously Dyche has done his homework and and Boyd and and Brady both on those sides covered um, the back line really well. So we almost ended up with a back six where we just had this bank of the, the you know the the regular back four stayed very central and just counteracted and, and put a bank of defense there and our um two wingers just pulled back slightly and just covered that space that Chelsea were trying to create by pulling the um the full backs you know more central and, and it worked really really well and 
I've been reading so much press today and I think so, I don't, I'm, I'm sure most of our fans do this when you've had a really good win and you're buzzing from it. You just want to absorb as much positive press as you can. And I honestly haven't seen any negative press today. It's been so complimentary about the way we played. And, you, you know, outsiders probably look at this result and wonder whether we parked the bus or whether we played very negatively just to try and play for a draw. We didn't do that. Deitch absolutely got his tactics right. He did his research and he came up with a game plan. And I've actually seen pundits and press and experts in the field come out and say that Burnley just showed the rest of the league how to counteract that Chelsea side with one newspaper suggesting that if this game had been played earlier on in the season, some uh, Chelsea might not have the points advantage that they do have because they will have been found out. Now that might be a bit of a stretch to be honest and a bit, you know, um, excitable journalism, but it just goes to show the credit that Burnley's being given for what they've done. Yeah, no, I, I thought we obviously played a fantastic game and we really did nullify uh, the threat from some very good players that Chelsea have. Um, just while we, we're still on the positive aspects of individual performances, I thought Joey Barton was fantastic in the middle of the park. Um, I think he, he showed that he, that this should be a question why he went to, to Scotland in the summer because I think at the time a lot of us felt that maybe he went because uh, he didn't feel he had Premier League football in him anymore. But you know he's come in and he's, he's showed that that's definitely not the case. And you know when he can go up against you know the players that Chelsea have in the middle and play like that. It's just a fantastic performance. I thought him and Ashley West would work really well together. Um, what did you think about you know the, the central midfield pairing, Kev? Considering last week we thought it could be a potential problem. <laughs> a potential problem, yes. Um, yeah, um, it, I think you know it, it worked really well. Uh, there was, I think, I raised the concern last week that we could potentially be heading into a key stage of the season. Uh, maybe playing four, four, five, six games with a, a different central midfield combination in each of them. Um, and I think Sean Dyche would have preferred not to have had to play, uh, particularly Westwood, uh, from the start so early. Uh, I think maybe Brady probably and I have him coming into the side sooner rather than later. But that central midfield is an area similar to, to centre-back where I think you get the most value when you've got that set unit the same two players or the same three players, depending on formation and the system, are playing all the time. And that is the backbone of the team. They get the whole team. They set the whole pace of the team. They interact with pretty much everybody on the field more than anybody else, I think. So for me, I think it's really important to have that backbone of those central midfielders having a having a consistent combination there. And for Westwood coming from the start so soon into his Burnley career, having and the time to learn the games of the other players around him uh, could have been a particular, uh, well, and probably was actually for me at the start of the game, um, a slight concern. That said, I think he was, he was very good. He had, he put in a, a fantastic performance alongside Joey Barton, who was just phenomenal. He was, I think every week now it, it, he's, he seems to be putting in a performance, which makes us think, hang on, no, that's his best performance for us. No, no, that's his best performance for us. He was absolutely fantastic. And, the more we see him, the more desperate I am for him to to continue playing with us for, for the rest of the season and get as, as much full football under his belt as possible. If he does get a lengthy suspension, I think that'll be a huge blow to us because he has just been he's just been phenomenal. I'm running out of way kind of superlatives to to describe his performance, and I thought he played very well with with Westwood as well. 
Um, you know, you've got to remember as well, these are two players who just a little over a month ago weren't at the club. Um, so that's that's how much our, our central midfielders had to change and adapt. Um, but it didn't show at all. I think both both of them looked like they'd been playing with with uh, with the team for for much longer than they had. They looked like they'd obviously Joey Barton knows the system inside out after last season. But Westwood, he looked he looked like a Sean Dyche player playing in a Sean Dyche team, um, which on the face of it is obvious. But I think Burnley play a very a very different style of football. It's not. Uh, I think the way we approach games, both off field and on the field, is probably very different to to a lot of clubs and a lot of teams. And I think Westwood just he he didn't look out of place in that team. He looked like he he belonged in that team, which is is testament to him and also testament to um, Sean Dyche for identi- He's very good at I think identifying those players that will come into the system and maybe not. You know, I think Westwood's had a bit of criticism from Aston Villa players, and that's not the sort of thing that Sean Dyche is going to look at. I think Sean Dyche very much looks at is he the right the right character and the right player to set fit into our team. And of you know, I don't want to get too carried away after one game, but I think after 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 that game after, against a, a very testing opposition as well, you know, look, you look. I mean, they've got some of the, the best central midfielders in the league. You've got and Kante, who is just phenomenal. I think. The way they both came in and performed so well, just give you give me that bit of confidence that despite having some of our key central midfielders missing, um, that we, we're going to be we're going to be all right. I, I certainly feel a lot more positive about the coming weeks than I did uh, a couple of days ago. Yeah, I thought that Westwood was really really tidy. I mean, that's maybe the easiest way to describe his performance. And uh, I know he was uh, a bit of, bit of a Marmite player for for Villa fans. They either loved him or hated him, but. Um, on early evidence, uh, I'm, I'm very glad he's at the turf. Uh, while we're still very much on the positives, um, let's just talk about Robbie Brady's free kick. What a fantastic free kick. Total football pornography. Um, I'm going to put you all on the spot here, actually, and I'm going to ask, when was the last time you saw a free kick of that quality scored by a Burnley player? Um, we'll start with uh, you, Adam. Um... Silence. Yeah. Um, did Danny Fox score a, a free kick in against West Ham in the Premier in the first Premier League season? Yeah, it was on his debut, wasn't it? Yeah, that comes to mind. That was a very good free kick. Extra points for also mimicking the uh, the the debut the debut goal phenomenon of Robbie Brady oh, yeah. as well there. Yeah. That is actually a top, top draw shout. <laughs> to pick out someone who also scored a free kick on the debut, um, I'd completely forgotten about that. Maybe, and also, wasn't um, wasn't Barton's free kick on his debut as well? So maybe we should just make sure whenever we sign a player, we put, we put them on a free, <laughs> on a free kick duty. Dive. <laughs> how, how about you then, Natalie? What's uh, you know, what can you compare it to? Yeah, this is a really tough one, really, on the spot. Thanks for this. What, what have we told you in previous podcasts, Brady, about homework? I don't like doing things off the cuff. Um, I, I think the only one that I can maybe think of was, um, was it Brentford last year in the promotion season? We were on a Sky Friday night oh. game. Was it 4-1? And there was two Very spectacular true. goals. There was a Barton's and there was Arfield's. And I know one of them was a free kick and one of them was an open play. And I think Arfield's was an open play because I think I remember giving that one the slightly better goal because it was um, it was from open play. And I'm pretty sure that Barton's was the free kick and that was a screamer. So I, I think that's the only one that I can think of. 
No, that was definitely a good one, yeah. Sorry, and, and, and you, Kev? Yeah, I think I think both of all, I think both of ones that we mentioned there are, are, are both spectacular in different ways. I think, if I remember right, was Danny Fox's from quite wide? I'm, I'm not sure. I think it might have been. Um, and Barton's was it, Barton's was it wasn't as spectacular as Brady's, but it was it was gorgeous in a very different way. Yeah. It's, it's almost like he just stood there. It's almost like he wasn't even. It just kind of. I don't think he had a run up. He just kind of flicked his toes on it, and it, it, it just it went in. But it was it was one of those. You, goes where you just don't know how it how how it happened. It was just you yeah, kind of, you're right. Whereas Brady's, it was just pure. Yeah, it was just it was just fantastic. It was the most one it was. If you were to design the perfect free kick, that was it. It was you know, a nice distance out. It had an incredible curve. It was until it got to like the six the, the six yard oh, box, it was so still good. wide of goal. I mean, it just because it, it. I think the only thing that's missing is that little chip off the off, off the crossbar, and it would have been. I think. <laughs> I, I think. I, I, I'm going back to the Robbie Blake era, um, and you know he had a he had a couple of um, wicked free kicks like that, and we've not really had that that free kick, that we've had not had too many direct free kicks to score from I don't think since Robbie Blake left. So um, if we can get a few more from Robbie Brady like that, that'd be fantastic. So no pressure there, bro, Robbie. <laughs> it was very measured free kick as well. I remember thinking at the time that he, he took absolutely ages to take it, and he was really he was really eyeing it up, and it, you could just tell that he absolutely thought about every single bit of it. And if we've got a footballer who's got that that ability to do that, but is also a very intelligent footballer, I'm I just don't know when we got to the stage. It seems to have have bitten us very quickly. But how how are we suddenly signing fifteen million pound midfielders who can do that? It's it's amazing. I'm loving it. Heather says, well, my uh, my husband, who has no interest or knowledge in football at all, did say, as soon as the, as soon as the player got fouled, he said, um, you're going to score here. I was like, "That's no, that's not going to happen at all. Um, and we did, uh... so, yeah. <laughs> it's a shame it wasn't a well, He could have given you the lottery numbers as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a fantastic uh, it's a fantastic free kick. And I was going to go back, I'd say, to the, the Robbie Blake era to, to look for the last time we sort of had that quality free kick. I think for me, what was so great about it was, you know, the position in the top corner. Obviously, the fact that Courtois is a, a, you know, a giant of a man, uh, so it is quite difficult to beat him up high. Um, but while he got close, he wasn't quite there. He could have only been an extra couple of inches tall. Um, it does feel quite wrong to to bring up the next thing on the back of just talking about how great his free kick was. But I thought, apart from the free kick, that Robbie Brady actually had a really quiet game. Um, Obviously, he came into the game in difficult circumstances, having not really settled at the club yet, um, and against the, the team who were undoubtedly going to win the league, in my opinion. Uh, what did you think about his performance, Natalie, away from the free kick? Um, he did all right. I mean, I, I refu- I, part of me refuses to, to pay... Um, an awful lot of, of attention to how he performs number one against the Chelsea side, but number two against his first start for the club. He's been playing championship football. It's a massive step up and he's in a new side playing a new system with new teammates. So I'm not entirely sure of the appropriateness to assess his start um, at the moment, to be honest, if he's five games in and, and he's still quite quiet, then I think then that's probably the right time to be having a chat and say, well, is he too quiet? What does he need to do? I think we'd be being super harsh, to be honest, and a little bit overly critical if we start picking apart his performance um, in the second game. And he's only played, um, you know, for what, 20 minutes against Watford before then. So, and he's also playing against the 
Chelsea side who who didn't really um, let us settle um, in the opening stages. So I'm not too concerned, James. To be honest, I can I can see why you would bring it up as a as a discussion point, but I, I don't think this is the right time for us to start analysing that. I think um, I think we need to give him a little bit more of a bedding in period. To be honest, I think Brady I think Brady did say himself after the match that he thought he'd had a. I think he, he joked by saying. No, it's a good job yeah, I quite a poor game and I think um, I, I can't I can't think of anything he did he did wrong similarly I can't nothing jumps to mind of anything that he did that was that was outstanding and that he did he did particularly particularly well there's nothing there's no kind of forward moves I can think but I think you know Brady was fantastic in that I think even the likes of I think George Boyd uh, was involved in a few more uh, meaningful four moves that jump out, um, but I, I, don't, I, I certainly wouldn't say he had a poor game. I think he had a, a solid, if unspectacular, uh, game of of the goal. And I just wonder if his his comments after the game and maybe his, could affect his performance overall. Is you know he did have that that failed tackle um, for, uh, for for Chelsea's goal, um, and I just wonder if that six minutes into his into his home debut, his first start, if that just affects the, the confidence, the mentality a little bit. Um, I don't know if that affected his performance. Um, Maybe he's I, getting I, defensive, isn't it? Just because he yeah. wants to impress everybody. And he's he's got a huge weight. He's got a huge pressure on his shoulders, Kevin, don't you think? You know, he's, he's coming as, a, as the new record signing after two have already been beaten. And if he's, I mean, I, I'm impressed with his ambition if he's coming out and saying, look, I can do better, I can do better. Everyone's like, okay, don't worry, it's your first proper game. Yeah, um, so maybe it's a good sign of ambition. But yeah, you're, you're right. I, you, maybe he's just trying to be a little bit defensive and a little bit, nervous really and like the new guy and wanting to just you know lay his marker I don't know I think the other thing to mention really here is that the best players have quiet games but still have a special moment and they, they can do something special um, and change the game completely and I think that's what you, you saw from Robbie Brady he didn't really have an eventful game apart from that sl- that slide tackle and the uh, the free kick um, so so I'm not going to complain if if he has a quiet game when he can pull something like like that out of the bag. Yeah, I think Dar said after the game that it was a difficult game for for both of the new signings to come into, and that you know they did really well in the circumstances. And uh, I don't think you can argue with that really. Um, the other point I want to talk about in a more of a negative-ish light, I think after the game was Ashley Barnes. I, I thought. On one hand, he had a really good game. You know, he battled really hard. He, he wins a lot of balls, but I think what he does with the ball after he's won it is just a little bit disappointing. So many times you see him, he works hard, wins the ball, um, and he goes to flick it through for someone, and the pass just isn't quite there. And I think we saw that with the Andre Gray chance early in the second half. Um, I mean, Adam, what do you think about you know Barnes's distribution? Really, I think with the ball. Yeah, Ashley Barnes. It was, it was just a very sloppy. Um, performance really again I noticed that Watford away his execution on the ball wasn't very good at all um, I mean I like Ashley Barnes and I think he brings something to the side even when he, he is he is doing like that he's that his aggression and sort of desire to to sort of mix things up and and get involved and get stuck in um, it's, it's a desirable attribute to the side um, but Watford away you saw it I know you spoke about it last week, but you saw you saw it at that chance towards the end um, where he sort of fluffed his lines and and it sort of cost us getting something from the game, um, and it's sort of a, a more positive attribute this this week um, that he didn't he didn't actually have a negative impact on the game. I just thought he wasn't as effective as he could be. Um, I think 
if any, if you're going to choose any player to be the weakest link in the t- team, I, f- I feel quite bad saying this because they all work hard and they all put effort in, um, and obviously that's that's great. Um, but I think it would be Ashley Barnes if you had to choose someone. Um, but that doesn't mean, as I said, it doesn't mean that he, he should lose his lose his place. He's, it just means he's, I think he's the weakest of the lot that we have, and and we just happen happen to have a very strong um, squad. Um, so so yeah, uh, I hope that his performances improve and and sort of recapture his his sort of best form uh, for us. Uh, and and yeah, so let let's look forward to to seeing a better sort of Ashley Barnes that can can execute. Uh, properly on on what he wants to do i'm not sure i 100 percent agree with you both with this one can i bring in the opposite side of the argument here i actually thought he was really effective yesterday i was really pleased with his performance way better than it was against watford um he's got a role to play in that side and he plays that role very very well um we've talked before and i completely agree with with the lack of technical flair that ashley barnes has and i, and I do I never thought yesterday that he was going to provide us with a goal, does that? And and, and that's a really weird thing to say, that you're pleased with the performance of a striker who you don't believe is going to score a goal. But he... He's been given the job of making a nuisance of himself and he's been given a job by Deitch to try and be a, a more of an aerial threat and bring some balls down. And I found yesterday he he won a lot of balls and he laid them off really well to uh, the central midfielders who were picking them up and trying to find balls out to Gray to, um, to run on to. So I, I think we've been maybe... I think... I. My view is that I think he played well yesterday. And so I just wanted to add that comment because there will be some of our listeners who sit on both sides of this angle. There will be some who think that he was awful and some thought he was good. I was pleased with him yesterday. I thought he did well. Natalie, who would you say is the weakest link in the squad then? Barnes. <laughs> no, I, I don't disagree with that point, but that's. But I think you can also have two. I think you, I think you can have both. I don't think it's an, an and or. I think you can still say that if you were going to line them up as technical footballers, Ashley Barnes is the weakest technical footballer. And if we do have designs to become a solid, uh, long-standing. Premier League mid-table side who's maybe even in time pushing for Europe then there isn't a place for Ashley Barnes and in time he's going to have to be improved the same with Boyd the same with Arfield some of those players and, and, and to some respects maybe it's the same with Vokes as well some of those players who do really are doing really well but that's not to say you can't improve on them as the team improves but I think as much as I agree with that that's not to say that the role he's playing now isn't needed and effective because it's giving opposition defences something else to think about and it's finding a different way of winning and I think Barnes is doing that really effectively at the moment we don't have personnel to match some of the technically better teams in the division so why don't we use the skills of the players that we've got and see if that works I think that's what he's doing I think I think that second striker uh, place alongside Gray is a bit of a dilemma for Daesh and I think it is our Overall, our weak spot in the team. I think that Vokes and Barnes have probably both got equal amounts of positive uh, contribution and, and weakness. I think they're the opposite sides as well. If you could combine them two into one player, it'd be really, really effective. But I think Barnes has got the the aggressive uh, the aggressive side of his game. Who and I think he 
he contributes a lot more to our wider play and our wider shape and our wider game. Yeah, that's Whereas, true. But on the flip side, he's very rare that he directly contributes to a goal, a game-changing or goal-creating moments. On the flip side, I think Sam Vokes has been involved in many uh, more goal goals and goal opportunities, both directly himself and also creating those for the likes of for the likes of Gray or whoever. But I think when he's not doing that, he, he offers less to the overall shape of the team. And particularly uh, particularly we have a Sean Dyche team to play where it's, it is a quite an aggressive style of football. It's very much um, chasing those balls and, and putting pressure on the defenders and creating, just trying to push the defenders about and put them on edge almost. And that's what actually Barnes gives you, which um, Sam Vokes doesn't. So I think it's a bit of a dilemma because... I think both. I think they are pretty much head and neck and neck on terms of who, which one of them deserves to be in the side and which one contributes most to the side. It's just a shame that their attributes are kind of polar opposites. I think in a way, in the way that their game affects the team. And I think if you could combine combine Vox's, um ability to be involved in those big moments uh, with Barnes's aggression and his better kind of management of, uh, of of the game and our shape, you'd have a, a, a really fantastic Sean Dyche second striker. It, it's not something we, we, we've done at the moment, and I think that's something what we will probably um, be looking to address uh, come the summer. Yeah, I think just one final point I'd say on this before, before obviously James probably wraps us up and moves us on, is that we've talked in the past about learning our lessons and adapting to Premier League side and maybe being too honest for our own good. One of the, one of the factors in my opinion of Barnes playing very well yesterday was his ability to win us free kicks and to also influence the pace of the game. I mean, there was, there was a couple of moments in the last sort of five or six minutes of the game where we were on a counter attack and we, were, you know, he was up on his own and he forced the defender into giving him the nudge in the back and going down. It kills the game. It gives us that time to then do a free kick, maybe getting it in the corner. And we've been really guilty in the past of being very um, lazy with the ball and very wasteful with the ball in the dying stages and conceding late goals. He was very effective yesterday in controlling the pace, controlling the dynamic and just winning up some free kicks and some set pieces and some time to just kill the game off so that that was for me I think is is something I, I bring that up because we've talked about that in the podcast previously about us adapting to the the style of Premier League and to manipulating it to get what we want and I think Barnes did that very well yesterday well, I didn't quite expect a discussion about Barnes's game to go for quite so long <laughs> but uh, all, all good stuff I think all good stuff um so there's a few opportunities for, for Burnley to actually take all three points uh, this weekend. Um, firstly, there's the opportunity that fell to Matt Lawton. Um, he finds himself in a position that I think he probably doesn't expect him to find himself in, one-on-one with uh, Courtois. And he, he tries to, to play it between the legs, and Courtois makes an absolutely fantastic save, I think. Um, I know after the game that Lawton thought maybe he should have done better with it and, and picked a different spot. But when you look at how... Kotor fills his net. I think even if he goes near side, which is where I would have personally shot, uh, I probably would have put it wide, but that's where I would have gone for. Um, you know, Kotor could still cover that. And if he goes to the far corner as well with those long legs, you don't know if he's going to cut it out. And then obviously the other chance was Andre Gray. I think for this, as we're talking about Ashley Barnes's 
maybe inconsistent distribution. I think the pass to him is a bit poor and he, he expects Lewis to cut it out, but it does come through to him and in the end he just finds a limp shot at Cotar where maybe if the ball through was better and he has more time to think about it, he may have just slotted it away first time. Um, I mean, what did each of you think about the, the two opportunities to, to sort of steal the game? We'll, we'll go to you first, Kevin. I think, yeah, I think the, the, the Lawson one, when the first time you watch that, when you watch it live, it looks like a huge opportunity. It looks like he really should have scored. Uh, and you, you end up being a little bit disappointed. But actually, the more you watch it, I think it's it's actually a lot more difficult than it, than it initially looks. I've uh, watched quite a few different angles, particularly there was one on Sky, an angle from pretty much directly behind Lawson. And you look actually at... Uh, the, the, angle, the, the angle that he's given by Courtois, the goal, goalkeeper, and he comes out very, very, very cleverly, um, and he spreads himself. And you actually, you look at the angle he's got, and there's nowhere, there's, there's nowhere he can put it to the side because he's, he's, he's kind of, he's got his leg covering that. Um, he's too tight on the, on the right hand side, so he can't go there. The only two places he's got to go are over the, the, the leg on the left hand side, which is very difficult to pull off um, in that short space of time for anybody, um, let alone a, a defender. Also, between uh, between his legs, for a player like Lawton, um, you would absolutely expect him to go between the legs and just hope he's going to get enough pace, pace on the ball. Um, he, he didn't quite, um, goalkeeper did very well to, to stop it, but I think yeah, almost any player who gets in that position is going to do the same thing. Maybe if that comes to somebody like um, Andre Gray or maybe like even like the likes of Joey Barton or Brady, they might scuff the chip off the leg. They might miss it or might go in. I think that it's. I think it's only a, a very kind of confident and attacking player who's even going to attempt that chip off the leg. Um, most players will have gone through between the legs, and that's. So actually, I think it looks a lot. It looks like a bigger miss than it was. I think. Also, can we just appreciate the the fantastic um, pass through from Barton to get to Lawton? It was just, just talked about how how good Barton was, but it was just a fantastic inch perfect pass, and it was one of those just just beautifully um, spotted and beautifully weighted passes. Yeah, I, I agree totally with Kevin there, um, which he'll absolutely love. Um, but uh, I, I think the the thing for me is how amazing is it that we play someone like Chelsea who are so dominant this season and we have chances to win the game, like actually plausible, credible chances. Um, that, that's the takeaway um, other than what Kevin said um, there. Um, that's the, the takeaway for me. Yeah, I think I agree with, with those comments. I can't, I can't find it in myself to criticise Lawton for not putting his, his pass away. At the end of the day, he's, he's a right back and he doesn't expect to find himself in that position um, very often. It was quite a surprise that he, the ball just fell for him and he was, you know, one on one with a keeper. Does that fall for a, a striker or, sorry, if that falls for a striker or a midfielder, do they probably score it? Yeah, quite possibly. But technically, he's not thinking quick enough to put that ball in the back of the net as a, as a defender. I think your good instinct, good instinct faced with the ball in, in front of the goal is to try and clear it. So I think it'd be very harsh to, to put any criticism Lawton's way for not doing better there. He's a right back at the end of the day. Um, Great goals, sorry, the great chance is slightly different in that um, obviously he again finds himself with a surprise ball. I don't think he expects the defensive error to come to him as, as cleanly as it did. 
Um, a lot of people I've seen look at that goal and think that, that Gray should have taken a touch. I, I agreed at the time when I was watching it at the game. I thought that if he'd have taken a touch, he could have done better. Once I saw it at home on a replay, I don't think he can take a touch because I think their defence is already closing him down. And I think they're good enough that if he just takes one touch or tries to dead that ball at any point, they just take it off him. So I think he shot it at precisely the right time. It was just unfortunate he couldn't quite get enough on it. Um, I have absolutely no problems with either one. It was great that we found, as Adam said, that we found ourselves with an opportunity to score um, as we we get better in this league and as we get more confident we'll put those chances away but you know it was fine yeah, I think that does more or less do it for the Chelsea game I don't think there's, there's anything else that really jumps out that, that needs talking about um, moving on to, to a little new feature I'm going to squeeze in just here um, obviously here we go. we've got a oh, great no. player oh no he's season, not so. This is Kylie Cole. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god, that was great. Production values right there. Boo. So, so I've gone quite, quite in the masses. Um, Michael Kylie's been away on loan for two games now, and he scored a second goal. And I've watched it now, um, and wow, uh, Robbie Brady step aside because there's a better free kick this weekend. As Kev said, all he needed to do was a ping off the bar. Kyle is in off the post. Sensational. Just inside the D. What a finish. What a finish. And also, honourable mention for another Burnley player out on loan. Chris Wood scored an absolute screamer for Bolton at the weekend. Very nearly ripped the nets, clean off the goal. Um, so, good good weekend all round for, for Burnley players uh, away on loan. And, How and- is... Um- how is corner spelt in this feature? Is it with a K, like Kylie? With a K, because alliteration is important. Uh, yeah, can I just say, Birdie, you, you better just like milk this, because when Jamie comes back next week, you're never getting that in the podcast next week. <laughs> He's not letting this go any further than this episode. And this is the end of the first and last ever uh, rendition <laughs> of Kylie Corner. And actually, just to, while we're still on Kylie, I, I also read an interview with him from still last week Kylie. after he after he scored uh, against Wolves. But it was very, very good interview where he said that um, he, he could not celebrate against Wolves. So he shows that he's, he's got a lot of heart as well. Great lad, is Michael Carroll. Anyway, and over to the first of our normal regular features, uh, we've got Natalie with Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week. Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week, Tweet of the Week. Indeed we do, indeed we do. Never mind this newfound Kylie Corner nonsense. Let's get back to the real feature on this podcast, the most favourite moment for all of our listeners and Tweet of the Week. This week we are looking at a tweet from Ant Heald who basically summarised where I think most of us had got to by the end of um, the game yesterday and the reaction across the board to Berlin's performance. Ant says, brilliant think that's the game where maybe for the first time I felt we're top flight team rather than plucky imposters and I think we all agree with you there suddenly it feels like Burnley are going to be here to stay and we're not just a relegation fodder going to be up and down for another season so thank you for sending that in and that one this week's tweet of the week well the fan favorite there we'll, we'll move on now from the Chelsea game uh, and, and this weekend's football I guess in, in total after that little bit of Cartley Corner um, 
this weekend we've got something a little bit different at the turf. Moving away from the league, we've got the FA Cup. Lincoln City coming to the turf. We did talk about this a little bit last week. Uh, obviously, in Lincoln's, well, Lincoln, the club, and Lincoln, the fans, uh, disappointment at, at getting a 3,200 away allocation. And they, I believe, wanted about 7,000. Well, their attendance this weekend was about 5,500 at home. So clearly, not quite as many fans as they, they believe would come to, to Burnley to, to watch them in the FA Cup. But also, I saw a tweet last week uh, where a local newspaper down there said that there was hundreds queuing uh, for tickets to the game and there was about 12 people in four. So um, I'm not sure they're as popular as was thought, but I'm sure they'll still have a great travelling support. Um, obviously, in previous rounds of the Cup, we've seen Burnley mix it up a little bit and a few players who haven't been in the first team uh, get the opportunity to play. Um, how many changes do you think there'll be this weekend then, Kevin? Um, I think I think it'll be very similar to what we've done in, in previous rounds. There'll be uh, a couple of changes here and there, but nothing too wholesale. I think we'll have uh, Pope, uh, that's Nick, not the, in goal. Um, and Tarkovsky will come in. Um, Westwood, I believe, is not cup-tied. Uh, Brady is. Uh, so I think Westwood will certainly uh, continue in the side to, to, so he can continue to... To, to to adjust to, to to Burnley's team and the Sean Dyche way of playing, Sam Vokes, I'm, I'm sure, will come in up top. Um, possibly Arfield uh, come in for, for Brady. I'd like to see um, Goodmanson play if he's fit, but I think there's probably, I think there's, it looks like there's still a bit of a niggling injury uh, or fitness problem with him, so uh, I'm not sure about that. I'd certainly like him to play if he can do, because I think I'm still really looking forward to him getting back into the side and seeing Brady and a good um play on on out wide for the rest of the season. So yeah, there'll be a couple of changes here and there, uh, nothing wholesale, and we'll just get those players who are just on the on the edge of the first eleven um, coming. Yeah, like the likes of likes of um, of Gummanson and Vokes coming in and getting their, their their bit of football and really showing Dyche what they can do and why they should be they should be starting more games and playing more games. And obviously we'll have uh, Pope in goal, who has done admirably in the cup uh, this season, getting a bit more, a bit more experience under his cap. Um, for I'm, I'm sure he's he's been identified as a the future uh, Burnley number one. I think he was he was he was speaking earlier in the season that he's when he came to the club he was told about the progression and path for him. And I think he's certainly been earmarked to come into the side when Tom Heaton does eventually start to to get a little bit too old and start to drop off. I think he's a, a very natural uh, Tom Heaton replacement, so any more, the more football, football we can get him in the meantime, um, the better. So he'll come in, other than that, it'll be a couple of those who are, like I say, tr- just about just, just outside the first 11. I love how you clarified that it was uh, uh, Nick Pope, not the Pope, um, as if the people, <laughs> <laughs> the Vatican were on the... <laughs> that had sent a delegation to, to Turf Moor. That's well, my favourite link ever. <laughs> it, it, it's a very important distinction to make. I just want to make sure I don't want to be ever don't want ever to be accused of misleading our listeners. <laughs> I think. Well, I think we'll the certainly be hoping that Nick Pope's performance isn't holy on uh, Saturday. Oh my oh. god! I think he'd deal very well with crosses. Oh no! Get, bring back Jamie. <laughs> we need we need to bring some order to this podcast. My goodness. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think there will be obviously a few changes um, to, to the side from the weekend. I'd expect to see Westwood and Barton still play, um, you know, to try and bed in that as a partnership if we're going to have to 
uh, caught with them for at least a few more weeks, I think, until uh, Hendricks back or DeFore can recover from injury. Um, interestingly, though, I mean, at, at what point, uh, Natalie, do you look to start playing the first team? Because, obviously, if we get past Lincoln, we're in the quarterfinals and uh, yeah. you know, getting in the business end of the competition and obviously winning it, potentially, you know, really starts to come to the forefront of the mind. Yeah, you're right. I'm really, I'm so confused by what I would do with this. Actually, it's quite a nice problem to have because in previous seasons, we've never really had a, a second string squad to be able to rotate for cup games. So it's quite uh, it's quite new and exciting is all of this, being able to think about playing um, the second string team. I'm, from a purely selfish point of view, I would swap them now in that I I feel like we can't take any we've got a really good opportunity um, we've got uh, I'm, don't get me wrong I'm sure Lincoln will put up a very good fight but on paper it would look like we have got an opportunity to be in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup so I would not risk anything in slipping up at this stage I would take that opportunity that we've been given I would play a stronger team as possible and make sure we're in the last eight um, so I would start playing them now and I think the reason that I feel that is that as a fan purely as a completely selfish point of view I want to win the cup and I don't want us to get to the stage where we get to Wembley and we've got one game a cup final to be able to to pick up a piece of silverware and one that Burnley hasn't won for a significant number of years and we miss that opportunity because we're too loyal to players who not might not necessarily be able to perform on the day um it sounds awful and it sounds harsh but ultimately, sport's a competitive game and that is the nature of any sport in that you pick your best players. And I don't necessarily think that there is there is a massive argument for loyalty there. I believe Deitch will. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see him play the same team right the way up to the final. That's the kind of manager that he is. Um, I would love to see him be completely ruthless and just really go for it and, and play the best team he can to, to lift that trophy, whether he will or not. I don't know, but um, I just I just really want to win this trophy. Can you imagine as fans this season, Burnley staying up and us winning the FA Cup? I don't know. I, think, I don't think I'd know what to do with myself. I'd, I'd be impossible. But yeah, I, I would. I'd change it from now. The thought of winning the FA Cup is fantastic, but at the same time, I'm not sure I want to bankroll a trip to Wembley. So uh, <laughs> it'd be a nice two, problem two to Two trips have. to Wembley. Yeah, <laughs> You've got to go twice. I know that is ridiculous. There's a little aside, but it is still ridiculous that the semi-finals are played at Wembley. Um, yeah, I think it's really interesting to, to consider when we go back to, to the normal side. This weekend, I've got a feeling we still will play a few people who are missing out. I think, you know, Tarkovsky will get, get a chance. Maybe Flanagan, maybe uh, Dariqua. Um, I think I'd expect to see Goodmanson um, and obviously you'd probably expect to see Forbes as well. And I think Newport will play. Uh, but something that you see the big sides sometimes doing these cup runs is eventually start bringing more of the, the regular first team in, but maybe stick with the goalkeeper. See, I think Nick Pope's not done anything in the, the cup run so far that means he doesn't deserve a, a crack at keep going. And obviously, maybe Tom Eaton would benefit from a little bit of rest. So um, maybe it could be the case that when we go back to the first team playing that, that Nick Pope could still get his, his opportunity. What do you think about that, Adam? Yeah, I think that's a, a, a good shout, really. Um I'm just trying to think, did Tom Heaton play at Wembley at some point? Did he not play in a cup final or something like that? Yes, he played for, was it Cardiff? Cardiff, I think ah, it was. I'm on Wikipedia right now. And he was, I, I, something tells me he was the second choice um, yeah, at that, that point. Sense. 
but I'm not totally sure. Um, but anyway, um, so it would. It, it, I, I don't think Tom Heaton would have anything com- uh, to complain about if that's the case. I could just be totally making that up, um, but I'm not sure. So yeah, it says uh, yeah he 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 played at Wembley um, for for Cardiff in the in the League Cup, um, and he he saved uh, saved a couple of penalties I think. So. Oh yeah, as co- as cover for David Marshall. There we go. So there you have it. Um, maybe that's that's what all Burnley goalkeepers need to have done is played at Wembley in a cup final um, as second choice goalkeeper um, before they come become great. I think that's that's stretching the analogy, but that's you can take it for Tom Heaton actually because he was in the travelling party to Moscow when uh, Manchester United won the uh, Champions League. Uh, didn't make the bench, but he was there. Oh okay. Has Nick Pope been to Moscow? Don't think so. Or the Champions League final. <laughs> he might have had a holiday there. <laughs> well, he could have, yeah, he could have been as a fan, I guess. Okay, so talking about the weekend's game, uh, it's probably time to, to do some predictions. Uh, Kev's, Kev's fledgling feature. Nope. Um, obviously, he's a little bit disappointed this week. As <laughs> I think... Yeah, I don't Yay. think we should talk about predictions this week. I think we should just no. Should, let's it's talk been, about it. <laughs> it's been a very it's been a very long podcast, and I think we don't want to uh, you know be, our listeners will be on their commute. We may be reaching work now. We might be in an evening, and you know it's been a, a long tired day. We don't want to keep the podcast going too long, so I think we should just skip on to the end now. And uh, we don't we don't need to talk about predictions. Unfortunately, Karen, I think we can can spare five minutes. Uh, obviously, myself and Bromers did. Um, predict a 2-1 win which didn't quite come off um, it was so close obviously we were so close to a 2-1 win but it didn't quite come off so we'll go over to you now Kevin to just take us through the results from this week predictions well it's been a it's been a it's been a shocking couple of weeks um, after I think I cursed us a couple of weeks ago by saying that in the whole the first five games between us, um, we'd, we'd only got two um, completely wrong wrong predictions. Since then, there have been one, two, three, four, five, six, seven uh, wrong predictions within in two games. Um, so it, I, I think I've cursed us all in that in that respect. I think we had a, I had my excuse in for Watford that um, Hendricks red card nullified it, but. It, it, we've got no excuse this time so yes um for, for me myself natalie and james all scored nil point this week um <sighs> and james as you said both predicted wins 2-1 i predicted 2-1 but before we round i thought i just thought chelsea would be too strong for it but as if it couldn't get any worse mr smith picked up his first correct score of the season his first three points he correctly predicted a one one all draw so it, yeah, it's going from bad to worse. But on the flip side, if we look at the table, I'm still com- I've got I've still got a comfortable lead. Uh, I'm up at the top with 13 points. James is well behind on nine points. Um, Jamie creeping up behind James on seven, but Natalie still oh, well behind on four sake. points. And Natalie now with with Jamie's success this week, Natalie's now the only one of us um, not to have predicted a correct score yet. So Great. Whole, thanks for myself. That. 
Uh, myself, James, and Jamie have all got five results right. I've got four scores. James has got two scores. Jamie's got one. Natalie's got four results and no scores. So, yeah, a precious building. Oh, in camp I'm going gonna, gonna to start a petition to make sure we can reverse this idea that the loser gets a forfeit because I'm not loving my position at the bottom of the table right now. Oh, well, obviously... A chance straight away to, to remedy it, I uh, promise. So we'll let you go first on your prediction for this weekend's fixture. How do you think we'll do? Um, I am going to stick with my strategy that has been working so well for me this season. Um, rather than <laughs> I've got a bad, <laughs> a bad feeling, but it's, I've got a really good feeling about this because it's a home game. I am going to be sticking with my new swanky new turnstile which is bringing us loads of luck and doing us really well at Turf Moor I think we will be far too strong for Lincoln and I'm going to predict a 3 4 3 4 3 win uh, so it's a good start I, I, I'll definitely take 3 now right away um, Kevin how do you see it going um, I think I'm not going to go be as ambitious as that I think um, I think we'll we'll have a comfortable scoreline. I think we're going to win two nil. Uh, but I think we'll, I, I'm going to go meta, kind of go really go into the prediction here. And I think it's going to be a, a tight, tense game for much of a game. It's going to be quite scrappy, um, and I think it, it'll be kind of hanging in the balance until we go, until we get maybe you know that 70th, 80th minute, quite close to the end. We'll get a breakthrough, and I think we'll once we got once we do we get that goal. Um, Lincoln's heads will probably drop a little bit knowing our home record. We'll raise up and get a second, and it's going to be it's going to be a two 0 win. And the goals are going to be on 72 minutes and what should we say um, 86 minutes. There we go. You're not getting bonus your... points for timings, Kev. <laughs> I was about to say it may not be your my feature, Kevin. It may be your feature, but I'm going to step in there and say there's definitely no bonus points available for. Because if we do. If... If we do score two goals on those exact minutes, I want some kind of I want some kind of reward because that is spectacular. I will give you twenty happens. pounds of my own money. That is that's recorded. That is on. That is now going out, being broadcast to hundreds of thousands of people. So you can't it. come out. You can't get out of that now. I might write to Sean Dice just to let him know um, when to, <laughs> when to get his score. <laughs> You're probably better off writing to Joey Barton. To be fair. Oh, I'll do that one as well. <laughs> well, Adam, you may not be part of the prediction league, but since you've been on the podcast, we'll, we'll take a prediction from you as well. Well, the beauty of me being on the podcast is that I can not being part of the predictions league is that I can say whatever I want, um, and I think it's going to be an eight-three win to Burnley. <laughs> Gone big, I love it. Gone big. Well, I, I, did, I did like Brom's prediction of three 0 but um, I'm going to go one better, and I think we're going to absolutely fun Lincoln for now. Uh, going to shatter their FA Cup dreams. Um, and 3,200 Lincoln fans are going to be going on crying at the end of the day. Um, Kinnell? Marshall True. Uh, anyway, we've had Jamie Smith record his uh, prediction separately, and Adam, by the magic of editing, is going to patch that in just here. Hello, I'm Jamie Smith, and welcome to my predictions. Um, sorry, false of habit there. Uh, Lincoln, obviously, all respect to Lincoln, but... Should be fairly comfortable this for Burnley. I expect us to play strongish team, probably seven or eight changes, similar to the last round, and really Burnley should get through without too many problems. So I'm going to say Burnley three, Lincoln nil. Anyway, that's about all we've got time for this week. Um, next week, Jamie should be back as normal, unless obviously he's angered the whole of Twitter again, in which case maybe he'll decide to take a, another week out of the limelight. Um, 
obviously, as usual, plenty of people to thank. Uh, firstly, thank you to Kev, Natalie and Adam for joining me tonight. Um, thanks to Rick for the artwork, which is fantastic, as always. And thanks to Adam as well. Two thanks this week for producing. Uh, and that's been everything. So this has been the No Name Never podcast. I've been James Bird. Goodbye. That was such a heartfelt thank, uh, thank you at the end there. Is there, is there anyone else have, you, you, you appreciate his efforts so much, you, you couldn't remember oh, him, even though he'd been speaking a couple of seconds earlier. Uh, anyway, we've had Jamie Smith record his uh, prediction separately, and Adam, by the magic of editing, he's going to patch that in just here. Uh, Hi, I'm Jamie a- Smith. <laughs> That's about yeah, can, all... we, can, can we can we just like so, yeah Adam if you kind of put on Jamie Smith's voice and just predict a really ridiculous scoreline and then we can just <laughs> if you say like fourteen nil something then it just it helps oh, it gives Brommers gives Brommers a bit of a foot up in the league in predictions yeah, because she, she needs it she needs it I, 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 I can't, can't actually do a very good Jamie Smith impression that's the problem and we can't honestly we can't have our listeners sending me in forfeits oh, okay. it's going to be horrendous so you've got to get me some points. <laughs> I think that George Boyd and Ashley Barnes would be absolutely disgraceful and uh, then kind of going to win 12 now. Brilliant. Jamie, I thought it wasn't available. Oh, well, God, that was he's down the bottom of the well. <laughs> That's, he's, he got so much abuse for his tweet on his, his tweet this week. He's had to jump down a hell a well oh, to her. Uh, just to protect, just to hide away. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. And there it is, that's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.